0: So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 223 for the fourth of Thomas and a leap Year. So we all grew up, or most of us anyways, grew up with fairy tales, right? In some form or another, like maybe Aesop's Fables, Hans Christian Andersen, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, things like that disney movies all of these kind of things and at the time when you first like read these stories or had these stories written, read to you or you watched them on tv uh or in the movie theater then you probably just really got lost in the story itself and you probably just really enjoyed the fantastical element of it all and maybe when you got a little bit older you started to think about these stories in a deeper way and you started to realize that these weren't just stories for the sake of stories but they were actually there to teach you a lesson that that many of these stories were allegorical in nature so allegories are a very powerful tool to teach lessons both to children and to adults about uh about different things the tanya is filled with allegories chasidus in general torah in general is filled with allegories like allegories are really an essential component to most teaching methodologies however where Teaching might fall short, where the education might fall short, is if the student never realizes that what it is that they're learning is actually just an allegory and is not meant to be taken literally. An example of this that comes to mind is, uh, is from a book, which is a, one of the most famous allegories, namely the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. So, uh, so for those of you who are not so familiar with it, so Animal Farm is a book, is a book, a very short book that was written kind of like almost like in a ch- children's book format all about these animals that live on a farm and after living on this farm for some time some of the animals decide to rebel against their human master and create a society of equality for all the animals and then this leads to eventually it spirals into a dictatorship of where some of the animals gain control over the other animals and uh, and rule over them and when George Orwell wrote this, he wrote it as an allegory for the Russian Revolution and for the danger of communism That, was, that at least in the way that it was coming about in Russia uh, so what's interesting about this is I actually have a, a good friend who when she first read Animal Farm as a kid she had no idea that it was an allegory she just thought that it was a story about animals and that w- it was just like a very very interesting story about animals on a farm, which is cute. And it is a good story about animals on a farm. And you could read the story in that way. Like a lot of the fairy tales, the Aesop's fables, these kind of things, they can be read just in their story format and you could never even get into the allegory aspect of them. But you really are actually missing the whole point if you don't realize at some point that it's an allegory. So why am I bringing all, the, all of this up? Well, this is because that is exactly the subject of today's Tanya, and this is what the Ultra bet is going to do. He's kind of giving us a little bit of a time out, so to speak, to remind us of the allegorical nature of a lot of what it is that we're talking about and specifically the allegorical nature of the idea of the sun and sunlight. So if you've been following along and if you've you've been paying attention for the past little while, then you notice that one recurring theme that keeps coming up is where we liken God and the way that God relates to the world and to the sun and sunlight. And that, and this is often given as a really uh, really profound analogy for helping us understand how God relates to the world by looking at the sun and how it is that there's nothing in the world except for God and that nothing has its own existence. And we, re- we related this to sunlight and how sunlight has no existence of its own other than the sun. And that if you were to shine rays of sunlight back into the sun itself, then uh, they would cease to exist. So this is a really useful way to understand God and at least in so far as our relationship with him. But what the altar way is going to do today is he's going to just give us a little reminder and remind us that ultimately this is just an analogy and we should not equate God with the sun, God forbid, or even God's radiance and the way he relates to us to light. So yes, we call it God's light. We say or in self, the light of the infinite light. And that's how we reference God. But we need to remember that this is just an allegory, that God is not actually light. God is not the sun. It's not he's not the source of light. It's he's way beyond these kind of things. And that just like if you want to teach a child or even an adult about the Russian Revolution, sometimes rather than getting into the technicalities of, of the war and all that stuff, then it is a it, it it's a lot easier to to present it in an allegorical format, and which is a lot more graspable, that's basically why it is that we use this analogy of the sign. So that's that's going to be the focus of today's uh, episode. So let's get into the text. And for context, we are beginning chapter ten of Sharia Chavamona, and so here we go. And so basically, so the uh, so the altar of it is is leaving off from last time. So last time we talked about this idea of the essentially unknowable nature of God and of and and specifically God's unity God's oneness so and how when it is that we say that God and his attributes are not just composites but in fact they are unified in a true unified sense even though God is not limited by his attributes and he's not just like a composite of his attributes Um, so all of this pointed to this kind of like inability of the human mind to be able to grasp this idea to to grasp this essential paradoxical nature of how on the one hand God's attributes are not really him like even if you were to take like all of these attributes and put them together you wouldn't like then you would have God because God's not a composite of his attributes nevertheless each one of God's attributes are essentially unified with him and so this is something that it's, it's it's just perplexing to the human mind. It's something that we just need to accept on faith and accept the fact that we will never know this. So that's where we left off yesterday. And so today, the altar Rabbi takes us from here and he says, OK, even though that, yes, it's essentially unknowable, this this uh, aspect of the unity of God with his attributes. Nevertheless, the Torah spoke to us in human terms. And human language, le it's called in Hebrew. So to modulate for the ear what is it is able to hear. So again, it's like if we want to talk about the Russian revolution, a way to make that like more accessible to children is to to and to adults also is to talk about it in terms of animals on a farm, right? So this is why since Torah wanted us God wanted us to be able to have a sense of him he didn't want us want to remain just like this abstract thing that we'll never be able to grasp on any level at all he wanted us to have like some type of sense of him so this is why it was given permission to the Kabbalists to speak about the spheros by way of analogy and to speak of them in terms of being lights orot in hebrew so so the spheros are not actually literally lights but we talk of them as if they're lights. We, we allegorically refer to them as if they are lights. Because through this allegory of refer, referencing them as lights, we can understand a little bit this idea of the unity of God with his midos, which, with his attributes, which is by way of an al- analogy, like when we talk about the unity of the sun, the light of the sun within the body of the sun itself which is called the luminary, which is called the ma'or. So the, the sun is called the ma'or, the luminary. And then it's like, you have the light, the or, which is when it shines within this body of the sun itself, then it disappears. Right. Which we spoke about before. And, um, and then the altar over here says that that we see a reference to this idea of the sun being called the luminary, like the source of the light. We're going to the Ma'or in Rashi's chapter one, verse sixteen, where it says it ha Hagadol which means the and the greater luminary. Like like the Torah is referencing how God created the world, and He's referencing the sun and the moon, and it, He called He refers to the moon the greater luminary, so it's the greater source of the light. So that's how we see that the sun is the source of the light, and then we see that. So we have the ma'or, the source of the light, and then the, the ray and the radiance and the spark that comes out from this source of light is called or, is called light. And we see this again in B'rishis. Interestingly, a little bit before it talks about the sun, where it's in B'rishis chapter one, verse five, where it says, So God called the light day. So we see that God created light, which is separate than the luminary because the light as it is in its bo- in the body of the sun is totally united with utmost unity with the body of the sun because within the body of the sun there is nothing but the luminary there is nothing like like you're going back to the source right so the the sp- the ray and the light that's found inside of the body of the sun is one, is, is, is like actually, act, absolutely one with the, in an essential way with the body of the luminary that shines. And it doesn't have any existence of its own at all. And so this is exactly like this, and even more so says the Altarabite, how it is with God's attributes, as well as with God's will, and as well as it is with God's wisdom in the world of Atzilus, with God's essence so to speak. So it's like when you go to that world of Attilus, which is the highest of all the four worlds, that's the world where everything is just emanating out from its source. So it's like there, all of God's attributes are really nullified within him. uh, They're one with his essential being. And God vests himself within them and unites within them with utmost unity because they came from him, just like we talk about the light coming from the sun. And so then the ultraviolet concludes, but it's not exactly this way. So it's like, we're talking about it in this way, in this way of analogy, like we are able to visualize the sun and the sunlight. And imagine if you had that sunlight and you were to shine it back into the ray of the sun and the ultraviolet is teaching us that this is just like how it is with God. And then you have God, and then you have his attributes, which come out from him. And then if you like shine those attributes back into him, like you have in Atsilus, then they become totally unified with him. So the ultraviolet is just reminding us in this last point that that this is only an an analogy and it's actually very very far from this idea and it's something very far from our very wondrous um and um and far and remote from our um from our comprehension because God's ways are much higher than our ways, so and that's a that's a citation from Yeshayahu chapter fifty five verse nine. Where in Hebrew it says, "Ki gavhu drachav mitracheno. So again, so it's just that's the conclusion of this section, and it's just again a, um, a reminder to us that as much as we can talk about the sun as being an analogy for God, and this gives us a, a nice visual for understanding how God and His attributes relate to one another, we need to keep in mind that this is merely an analogy and. Truly, what's going on is actually way beyond our comprehension. Just like, again, you know, the half deal that, like, when a person reads the book Animal Farm, um, you know, maybe they can have a sense. Okay, this is a little bit like how the Russian Revolution works. But if they were to think that it it literally happened in that way, or that it even like had a true semblance of that way that that they'd be sorely mistaken because it's like it wasn't actually animals in the revolution at all they weren't on a farm there wasn't a farmer obviously there was a lot more details in it that are not written in the story so that is it for today and we will continue with this chapter tomorrow and i'll speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarid spitzer